They say pedestrians have the right of way. But what's right anyway? Wandering down the walkway of life, rules on the road seem optional today. No shortage of decision to make. Turn left, turn right, speak up, stay quiet. Hold up, wait. But the choice is mine. Money, power, respect, gonna get what I want. No stop sign. Some have a well-crafted out plan, all mapped out. Coordinates locked into the GPS, just a straight shot. Some like the free flow, you know, live carefree. Until life pulls out in front of them. No sick, without warning. From the blind spots, we're left stumped, we're left confused. This is concerning. What is this? Do you even see me? Before there's a where, what, or when, we must start in a place to begin. Who are you? Well, happy weekend, everybody. So grateful that you're joining us for our service. Wonder, show of hands, how many of you have ever watched a child on their first birthday navigate that very first piece of cake? I'll never forget my son Brooks when he turned one. Steph and I had that first piece of cake and we set it in front of him and it was just incredible watching him try to figure out what to do. At first he picked up the icing and started smearing it all over the place and then he grabbed the cake and was smooshing it between his fingers. But then there was that moment, that, that moment where he finally figured out that the cake goes in the mouth and it tasted sweet. And my wife, Steph, got a photo of that very first bite. So there's Brooks, and check out that smile. He is just loving the taste of that cake. And the reason that I share that picture with you and that story is because today the Apostle Peter is going to tell us that there's something that we can taste, that when we do, it'll transform our lives. I want to welcome you back to our series, Who Are You? Last weekend, we kicked off this series by learning that when we say yes to Jesus, we're born again. And when that happens, Jesus gives to us a new name. And last week, we talked about how we can believe that new name and take hold of our living hope. And I encourage us to hold on to that new name throughout the week. Uh, how many of us had a chance to do that? Hopefully you had some good moments this week. If, if you were like me, you did. And, and if you're like me, maybe, maybe show of hands how many had a, a struggle or two along the way. Yeah, and I mentioned that all of us would. In fact, I, I commented that as we hold on to that living hope, as, as we try to believe our new name, that we're going to come to a moment where we're saying, I believe it, but I don't see that I'm becoming it. And my promise was that Peter was going to address that in his letter, and he does. So let's dive in to what the Apostle Peter tells us about how we can become who we are. Here's what Peter writes. He says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old way of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And what Peter tells us is that we can become who we are in Christ when we are holy. But what does it mean to be holy? Well, the word holy, and when it's described in scripture, 
is to be set apart for the purpose of God. So in the Old Testament, there was a place called the tabernacle, and then later the temple, that was a building that was different from all the other buildings or tents. It was set apart for the purpose of God. And it was actually right there where God dwelled. In the temple, there was a room called the holy place, and then in there, uh, the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And it was a spot that was set apart only for God. In fact, God's Spirit literally dwelt in that holy of holies. And so when Peter tells us that we're to be holy, we're to be set apart for the purpose of God. But honestly, that can feel pretty weighty when we hear that. Because when we hear that, we, we think about all the moments and all the times when we haven't been set apart. We, we think of all the things that we've done that, that haven't made us holy. And, and if you're like me, you can hear that word holiness and feel like it's unattainable or, or it's something that I, I can't even get my hands around. How in the world am I supposed to become holy? And, and here's the thing about holiness. Holiness isn't something that we just try really hard to avoid sin and then we'll become holy. Now, it's true that as we become holy, we do have less and less sin in our life, but holiness is not something that you and I achieve by our own effort. That's not the gospel message. The good news is that God gives you and me something that if that will go into our lives, then we'll become holy. So we could say it this way. We could say that we don't grow in holiness by avoiding sin, we grow in holiness by what goes in. And I just like that because it rhymes. But what I mean by that is that as we become holy, yes, sin becomes less and less prevalent in our life, but just avoiding sin and just trying real hard to stay away from sin, that doesn't actually cause us to grow in that sense of holiness. Let, let me give you an example. When I was a freshman in high school, I went out for the cross-country team. Now, I had never run before, and I really had no idea what I was doing. And thankfully, running isn't very technical. You just go in one direction, and then every now and then you turn to the left or turn to the right. But there is a part of running about nutrition, that the better you eat, the better you run. And I just had no clue about nutrition at all. And so the very first race I ever ran in cross country. My mom and I, just a few hours earlier, were out running errands, and we're out around town, and it's starting to get late in the day, and she's saying, hey, we, we probably better get you some food before you get to school for the race, and I was like, yeah, and, but we're running short, so let's find something quick, and she's like, okay, let's find a drive through and okay, that sounds good, and what's nearby? Taco Bell. Let me just say, eating Taco Bell right before a cross country race is a sin. And after that terribly unpleasant experience, I realized that I needed to improve my nutrition. But I didn't improve my nutrition by just avoiding Taco Bell before every race. Now, avoiding Taco Bell before every race prevented me from destroying my nutrition. But in order to grow my nutrition, I had to put the right stuff in. And the same is true when it comes to our holiness. And what Peter is telling us is that what goes in is God's word. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. This is what he's talking about when it comes to God's word. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, 
but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. What Peter is telling us is that our holiness comes from God's word and that God's word sets us apart for the purpose of God. And so the question is, well, how does it do that? And the first thing is it does this in in two ways. First is that God's word sets us apart from the world. Now, the world has a whole viewpoint, a whole way of thinking, all sorts of wisdom and all sorts of advice. But God's word is different. God's word gives to us a different mind, a mind that is set apart from the way in which the world thinks. But, But for those of us in the West, the Western world, there's kind of this Christian veneer that's smeared over so much of worldly wisdom. And so at times, the world has these thoughts and opinions about God or that become attributed to God that actually are influenced more by the world and less by God's Word. And unless you really know God's Word, you're not set apart from that way of thinking. To show you what I mean, I want to just go through a few phrases that are commonly thought to be Scripture but actually have nothing to do with the truth of God's word. And as I share these, if you've ever thought that some of these phrases are in fact scripture, I'm not sharing this to embarrass you or or make you feel bad, but to help you be set apart in your thinking so you can become holy and have the mind of Christ. So here's the first phrase. It's that God helps those who help themselves. That is not in the Bible. It's actually in Aesop's fables. And this concept that God helps those who help themselves is counter to the message of the Bible. The good news of the gospel is that God has done everything for you and for me. We talked a little bit about this last week. We don't earn our salvation. In fact, Scripture tells us that it is by grace we have been saved, not by works. So none of us can boast. And it also tells us that while we were sinners— That's when Christ died for us. So God has done 100% of the effort, and we just have to receive what God is giving to us and offering to us. And when we have the attitude that God helps those who help themselves, it actually causes us to be unloving toward other people because we see people who are struggling and we maybe assume that they're not doing their part, and that causes us to not show them the same grace that God has shown to us. So we need to think differently. We need to think more biblically. Here's the second one. It's that to thine own self be true. That is also not in the Bible, even though the word thine is used. In fact, Scripture gives us the opposite message. It's not to thine own self be true. We are to be true to God. And this is pretty offensive to our culture. Because our culture has a high value of you do you. But the trouble with that is God's word says that you got to be careful. You can't really trust yourself. In fact, it was the prophet Jeremiah who said that the heart is deceitful above all things. And it has no cure. And that's something that I've experienced in my life. And chances are you've probably experienced in your life. Here's a thought for you. I have been present and I have talked myself into all of my biggest mistakes in life. Or I like to say it this way, you can't 
get you out of what you got you into. But the good news of God's word is that you don't have to. Jesus offers you a new life. That's all that we talked about last week and what Peter is reminding us again this week. That's the truth of God's word. So we're supposed to be true to God. And when we are true to God, we're actually our most authentic self because we're coming back into relationship with the one who created us. Now, here's the final one. It's this too shall pass. And I know I'm poking a little bit at a few of you because I hear this phrase all the time in the midst of this coronavirus. And the heart behind this often is done with the best of intentions. If somebody's going through a difficult season, people will say, well, this too shall pass because they're just trying to make them feel better. And there's an element here that can speak of the fact that at some point, we're all going to be experiencing the glory of God when this life is over. And in that regard, that's true. But the problem with this phrase, this too shall pass, is that it implies that life here on earth is going to be better when our difficult situation has passed. And what it does is it masks over one of the greatest promises in Scripture. And that promise is that God promises to be near us in our darkest hour. That when we're going through some really difficult times, God promises to be right there with us, to be near us, and we can experience and lean on his presence. And some of the most loving people I know became that way because they went through some awful circumstances. And God saw them through. In fact, God used those difficult circumstances to shake the selfishness out of them, which is why they're so loving. And so these are ways that often the world thinks, and what God is calling us to do is to be set apart from that way of thinking. But it's not that God's Word just sets us apart from something. God's work sets us apart for something. So here's the second point. It's that God's Word sets us apart for love. And this is a connection that I've never made before that God's word sets us apart or makes us holy for the purpose of love. But, but look how Peter connects these two thoughts together. He does this in verse 22. He says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. That's what he's talking about, being set apart for the purposes of God, obeying the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. Well, Peter's talking about love there and when the Bible talks about love, it doesn't talk about love as a feeling or as an emotion. What it's talking about is love being a series of intentional actions that are always for the good of another person. In that regard, love is self-sacrificing, just like Jesus, who was the perfect example and model of love. And so what Peter is telling us is that you and I are to show self-sacrificing love to one another. And when we do, it'll help to unify us in a fraternal type of a love. That, that when we show self-sacrificing love to other people, it brings people who otherwise would not have been together, together. And they too experience the love of God. And Peter didn't just 
write these words. Peter actually lived these words. Now, Peter was Jewish, and he was a devout Jew. And so he, all of his life, kept the laws about being clean, about being holy as a Jewish man. And so for Peter, that meant that there were certain things that as a Jewish man, he did not eat. There were certain places that he did not go, and there were certain people with whom he did not associate because it helped to keep him clean. But then Peter met Jesus, and his life was transformed by him. And after Christ's death and resurrection into the book of Acts, we see Peter as a leader in this church movement. And one day, Peter is up on a roof, and he's praying. And during his time of prayer, he becomes hungry. And while he's waiting for the meal to be prepared, he has a vision. In this vision, there's a sheet that descends from heaven. And on the sheet are all sorts of animals that would have been unclean for a Jewish person to eat. But then there's a voice from heaven, and the voice says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter assumes that this is some sort of a test of his holiness or a test of, of being a, a, good, a good, devout follower of God. And so he responds to the voice, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything that, that was against the Jewish laws. And then the voice says, don't declare anything unclean that I have declared clean. And this happens three times. And anytime something happened three times in the life of Peter, that is a clue for him that God was trying to get his attention. And then the vision is over. And so Peter's on the roof trying to make sense of this, trying to understand what was this all about. And then the Spirit of God tells him that some men are coming for him and that he is to go with those men where they take him. And sure enough, there's a knock on the door. And the men who had come looking for Peter were servants of a man named Cornelius. And that man was a Gentile. And someone who wasn't a Gentile that followed pagan gods, but Cornelius was a follower of the God of Israel, the one true God. And a few days prior, God had sent an angel to Cornelius. And the angel told him that he was to call for Peter. And so that's why he sent these servants to come find Peter. And so Peter goes with these Gentiles. Now, understand that that seems like no big deal for us, but for a Jewish man who was a devout follower of God to go with these Gentiles would have been a big deal. And it would have been an even bigger deal when Peter stepped through the threshold of Cornelius's home. Probably the first time he had ever been in a Gentile's home. And as Peter tells his story and Cornelius tells his, they start to realize that God is the one who arranged this visit. And at that moment, Peter began to preach the good news about Jesus Christ. And Acts 10 records for us the incredible response of what happened. Here's what the text says. It says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? 
So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. And this event is an enormous event in the life of the church because here are two groups of people, Jew and Gentile, who when they used to worship the same God at the same temple before Christ, they had to do so in different places. There was a court called the Court of Gentiles with a wall that literally separated them from where the Jewish worshipers would go. And now that dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. And Jew and Gentile together are celebrating and experiencing the love of Jesus Christ. This is a massive moment in the life of the church. And it happened because Peter obeyed the word of God and it caused him to show love, even at the risk of sacrifice for himself. I mean, Peter had to give up his pride. He had to give up probably some prejudice that he had against Gentile people. He had to give up his preference to go someplace that he had never gone before, but to do so because he was obeying the word of God. And when he did, it caused him to be more loving. So we could sum it up this way in saying this, that when God's word goes in us, love comes out of us. That this is the test, this is the sign that God's word has actually been going in us because we start becoming more loving toward other people. And I can tell you that I have experienced that to be true in my own life. Yes, in the positive, but maybe even more so in the negative. In fact, it was just a few months ago. You know, we had just kind of gotten through the initial shock and wave of this COVID-19. And do you remember those first several weeks? It was all this information was coming out. It just felt like we were being bombarded with, with changing guidance and all sorts of information. And then it seemed like every single organization that had ever sent us an email sent us an email about COVID-19, and they were all really long. And it was just exhausting with all this information. And, and, and I was finding myself to just be a little stressed. And maybe it was all the Zoom calls. I mean, so many Zoom calls. And in the midst of just kind of feeling a little irritable, I had an evening where I just kind of snapped. What happened was I received an email that the marathon that I had been training for since January had been canceled, and I just lost it. And in my frustration, I was reading this email on my phone. I I hit the reply button to the race director and I started typing out a response. And this response was just kind of an unloading of my disappointment, of my frustration. Uh, I I was calling into question their communication and and their decision-making process and their timeline. and, And it just, all this just stuff in me came out in this email. And before I sent it, Thankfully, I read it over. And I got to tell you, as I was reading through that email, I thought to myself, this is not something that somebody who's experienced the love of God should send. And so I deleted it. And I never sent that email. And I realized in that moment that I wasn't having enough of the word of God coming in me because love wasn't coming out of me. 
being grumpy about my preference was what was coming out of me. And at the time, I had actually still been reading my Bible every single day. But as the old saying goes, I was going through God's word. God's word wasn't going through me. Because when God's word goes through us and comes in us, love comes out of us. And that's what Peter is saying. That's the point he's making in this passage. And it all builds here to the beginning of chapter 2 when he sums all of his thinking up. He says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. See, all that leads to disunity. He says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. See, just like my son Brooks or any one-year-old who takes a taste of that sweet cake for the very first time and they just want more, when we get into God's word, or better said, when God's word gets into us, it gives to us a taste of God's love and of God's kindness. And that taste begins to grow within us an appetite for God's word. And it transforms our life. So how do we grow in holiness? We grow in holiness not by our own effort, not by trying harder, but instead by cultivating an appetite for the word of God. So I want to spend the rest of our time here today talking about how we can develop an appetite for God's word. So here's the first step in developing an appetite. Establish your next step in consuming God's word. Now I recognize that for some of you, you're hearing this message and maybe you've never read God's word on your own before and you'd like to, you're interested in it, but you just honestly don't know how to start. And it feels really intimidating. And I understand that. And so if that's true for you, I wanna give you some really practical tools to help you take a step in reading God's word for the very first time. Last weekend, we ended the message by giving folks an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And I just want to celebrate that across our campus locations and online, we had a number of people who said yes to Jesus, uh, many for the very first time. And if that was true for you, we emailed to you a faith starter kit. And that faith starter kit just directed you to a website. And here's the website. It was wooddale.org slash faith start. And actually, any of you can go to this website. And on this website, there are all sorts of resources to help you grow or get into God's word. And if you said yes to Jesus for the first time last week, or you said yes to Jesus years or decades ago, these resources may be of help for you. The first resource that you'll find there on that website uh, is the Bible app. It's just an app that's free. You can download on your phone or access on the internet, and it provides you all sorts of translations of God's Word, and the best part is it gives to you some devotional reading plans. And if you're looking for a place to start, begin with a five-day devotional reading plan on the Bible app. It's a great first step to get into God's Word. Now, some of you may be looking for uh, some heartier meals when it comes to the Word of God, and if that's true for you, there's also a resource on that same site that's called Right Now Media. 
Right Now Media is like the Netflix of Christian Bible studies. And here at Wooddale Church, we have an opportunity for you to get a free account to be part of Right Now Media, and you can sign up for that free account and start accessing all of that amazing content and helping to cultivate an appetite for God's Word on your own. So check those two resources out. I think that you will find they really help you get into God's Word. But maybe the best way is to whether it's through the Bible app or Right Now Media or a Bible that you begin reading on your own, is just to, on a daily basis, begin to get into God's Word. In fact, that's what happened with one of our students here at Wooddale Church. Her name is Ellie, and Pastor Heather caught up with her this week to hear a little bit of her story and how God's Word has been changing her life. We thought it would be an encouragement to you, so I want to share that with you right now. Hi, Wooddale Church. I'm Pastor Heather, and I'm here with Ellie, one of our sophomores in our student ministries. Ellie, why don't you tell us a little bit about your faith journey? Okay. Um, growing up, I was in a home with loving parents, but it wasn't a family of faith. And in elementary school, my parents got divorced. So my mom started looking for churches to re-engage in her faith, and she took me with her. Yeah, <laughs> she sure did. And where did it lead you? Here, yeah, Wooddale. Yep, we got to know you uh, the fall of your ninth grade year. Yeah. And Ellie, you've told me that that time was important to you, kind of a time when you understood more of who God was and gave yeah. your life to him. What do you think was all involved in that? Definitely being around other people who are like in a relationship with Jesus mm -hmm. and the biblical teaching, for sure. Like yeah. Og, too. Yep. And also my own, like, getting into God's word. You've actually told me that getting into God's Word on a daily basis was what really moved your faith forward. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Um, well, I was going through a time where I was trying to find my worth and my physical appearance, and that wasn't going very well. <laughs> so when I got into God's Word and saw what He said about me instead of what the way I saw myself or the way I felt other people saw me, mm -hmm. It gave me hope through that time. And I think teenagers especially need hope yeah. during these years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Ellie, how in the world did you start reading the Bible on a daily basis? Because a lot of us have a hard time doing that even as adults. Yeah, I found plans. So mm -hmm. I would do, like, it gave me different chapters of a book for each day that kind of complemented each other mm -hmm. and I would do that in the morning and then sometimes at night I would do devotions. Hmm. And when we were talking about that um, I want to be sure you didn't feel alone so then we actually took another step. What was that? Yeah we made um, a Bible study group with um, some other girls and another leader. Yeah so there's some accountability right yeah. going through God's Word together. Yeah. Ellie you are an inspiration and a motivation to me and I know to so many others, what would you say to somebody who's not yet reading the Word of God, but wants to? I would recommend finding a plan. Um, you can find different topics, and you can also do devotions with different people for accountability. Hmm. Cool. Thank you so much for spending time with us, Ellie. And bless you all as you figure out what this could look like for you. And I just love hearing that story of how God's Word really impacted Ellie's life. 
And I want to let you know that if you have been doing devotions for a while, maybe you've been, been reading the Bible, and it just feels like you're kind of stuck in a little bit of a rut, I want to encourage you, do what Ellie did. Look to God's Word for what it says about your identity, about who you are. We said last weekend that when we say yes to Jesus, He gives to us that new sense of identity. And if you search the Scriptures to hear how God describes and defines you now that you're in Christ— That'll help to get you out of that rut. You know, understand how you can start to show the love that you've received from God to others as well. And actually, hearing Ellie's story brings us to the second thing that we can do in terms of developing an appetite for God's Word, and that's all about the next generation. We all have an opportunity to encourage the next generation to value God's Word. And this is especially true if you're a parent or you're a grandparent. And here at Wooddale Church, we have a number of ministries and programs that are all designed to help the next generation thrive in God's Word. Here on Wednesday nights, we have a program called WOW. It's Woods on Wednesday, and it's for primarily our elementary age kids to know God's Word, to study God's Word, to memorize God's Word. And then our students, 5th through 12th grade, have program ministries on Wednesday night to help them not only read and know God's Word, but know how to apply it in their own lives. And just this last week, we announced that we are going to be going back with those program ministries this fall. We're going to do that in a safe and a a properly distant manner. We're also going to have virtual options for those who uh, aren't able or don't feel comfortable coming back to campus yet. But those programs are going to be happening this fall. And if you're a parent or you're a grandparent, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Have your kids engaged in that program. We have our kids engaged in so many activities. But the first and the primary one that we need to make sure our children or grandkids are engaged in is the study of God's Word. Because that, when they get the taste of that, it transforms and it changes their life. Now, here's the third and the final way that we can develop an appetite for God's Word, and that is to engage in study about God's Word. And this is incredibly important so that we know how to take a biblical view for what we see happening out in the world today. You know, it was just a few months ago that we had yet again more conversations about issues of injustice in our society. And one of the things that has given me just a little bit of pause about all of the solutions that are being thrown out about all the issues of injustice is that as Christ followers, we need to look first and foremost to what God's Word tells us about the issue of justice. Because the reality is the reason that our society has these issues of injustice is because they weren't obeying God's word to begin with. So we need to go back to the source and back to the solutions that God gives to us. And God says so much in his word about the topics of justice. And so Pastor Dale and I have been committed to making sure that we can offer a class on biblical justice. And I want to thank Pastor Brian Schulenberg, our discipleship pastor, for working with us. The three of us have been working together to to craft and and to develop a plan for this class on biblical justice that I'm excited to announce we are going to kick off this fall. And this is going to cover topics such as what God has to say about racial reconciliation, about the issues of anti-Semitism, and about God's heart for the poor, about God's heart for the widow and the orphan, about God's heart for the unborn. And so if you want to engage in this study to know what God has to say 
about all of these topics related to justice, then I want to encourage you to go to this website, wooddale.org slash biblical justice, and you also can find this right linked on our homepage, just wooddale.org, and you'll see a banner ad for it. And it's from there you can learn more about the class, and you can sign up for the class not only to take it as an individual, but also you could join in a group discussion with a life group or a community group who's going to be going through that content this fall as well. So important that we are looking to what God's Word has to say so we can be set apart Not given to how the world thinks about things, but to know what God thinks about things so that we can show the love and the kindness of God that we have experienced and that we have seen in Scripture to those who need to experience the love of God. Because here's the truth. When we live out God's Word, it brings people together. Just like Jew and Gentile did in the life of Peter, It brings people together around the table, unified in Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who makes us clean. And he is the very word of God. And so that's what we have an opportunity to celebrate right now. Which is a fitting way to end this message. To come together around the table of Christ and to celebrate communion. So we're going to take an opportunity for us to prepare our hearts for communion. And if you are joining us online, I want to encourage you to make sure you have your elements nearby. And we are going to listen to a song here in just a moment. So you have just a few minutes to get those elements ready. And if you are at one of our campus venues, I want to make sure that you have your little communion packet. I'll get mine here in just a moment. And we will all partake together after we have this song and prepare our hearts to receive communion. Oh 
It's always good for us to take an opportunity to prepare our hearts to receive communion. Uh, For those of you that are joining us online, hopefully you have your elements in front of you. For those of us at our venues, we have these uh, carefully prepackaged communion elements that uh, we'll be receiving communion from. But regardless of what we have in front of us to receive communion, all of us are coming together in unity around the table of Jesus Christ to remember what he has done for us. That's what communion is. It's a time to remember the gift that God has given to us. And in a profound way, by taking the elements into us, we're taking in the very word of God because that's who Jesus is. And so it was the night that Christ was betrayed. He was having dinner with his followers and he took bread and he told them that this is my body which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then it was after supper, he turned his attention to the cup and told them that this cup represents a new covenant in his blood and that we are to do this whenever we drink of it in memory of him. Father God, we thank you for this meal, this opportunity for us, despite the distance between many of us, to come together in unity around your table. Father, we have been brought together by your love. And so, Father, I pray that we now, having taken the very words of God into us, would be changed and transformed so that we might share your love with others who need to experience your hope. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, one of the benefits that we have as a community after communion is to receive a special offering for compassion, going to meet the needs of those in and around our community. And I want to let you know that schools who are beginning to go back into school, whether they're distant or hybrid, there are still a number of families that need school supplies. And so our local schools have reached out to us here at Wooddale Church and asked if we would be willing to help our neighbors who are not able to afford the school supplies that their children need. We introduced this to you last weekend, and I wanted you to know this weekend that we are going to be pulling some of those funds from our compassion offering from what you send in to be able to help provide those school supplies. There are 15,000 different items that our schools are in need of. And so would you consider making an additional contribution to the Compassion Fund so we can generously give to those families in need? What a great opportunity for us in a very tangible way to share the love and the hope of Jesus. And I just want to thank you, Wooddale, in advance for being such a generous church and helping us to share the love of Jesus Christ. Now, as we do, Next weekend, when we gather together, Peter is going to give to us a little challenge to see how ready we are, how far we're willing to go to share the love of Jesus. And we'll be looking at that together next weekend. I look forward to seeing you then.